What's up, pals? Welcome to Super Nerd Pals. I'm one of your Wait, hosts. Wait, what episode is this? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Super Nerd Pals, episode seventy-five. Stan has that majestic fucking like radio voice. I like that, right? This is the golden age of radio. Come back again. Thank you, Stan. But seventy-five. This is a big, big year. Big number. Big episode. Big That's it's. It's a milestone. It's can you believe it, guys? Seventy-five episodes. Yes. Yeah. Who, who knew sitting in my basement we get to this point where we're sitting in a slightly better area than we were <laughs> recording? <laughs> but not only with Chris, but with <sighs> the lovely people in the chat because this episode is live. A little backstory on uh, how Super Nerd Pal started. Stan and I uh, at work one day. Decided that we talk a lot about nerdy shit and that we should share this with the world. Yeah, I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time. I still do. And I figured, you know, we could do this. I could do this. I just need somebody to do it with. And I couldn't think of anybody better than this man right here. Yeah. And we brought Chris along because Mad Max is coming out. (laughs) We did a Mad Max episode with Chris. And uh, And we kept him. We never gave him back. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah, man, uh, Stan and I used to write together for a video game website. Uh, we used to nerd out a lot, and we had a mutual love for, for podcasts. And um, Mad Max was around last May, and I was, I, w- like, I was a constant Mad Max hype machine. And then we recorded that episode. It was a lot of fun. And then E3, the E3 Spectacular Show was right after that. And then we just I just kind of just Never stuck left. around, and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's been a, it's been a fun seventy five plus weeks doing this show, and um, I can't wait for episode one hundred. I know. I mean, in reality, we've done more than seventy five episodes, true. not not counting like the minisodes. But this is this is SMP SMP seventy five SMP. Yeah. So this is a great great episode, and we couldn't think of any other more appropriate way. To celebrate by making this well, technically this is our second live episode, but this is our first, our first live SMP ever. We just wrapped up Dragon Chat not too long ago. It was a lot of fun. Dragon Chat, for those who don't know, it's the Super Nerd Pals Network's first ever Dragon Ball Z podcast. It was a lot of fun. We had quite a handful of people in the chat, and we were throwing around questions and interacting with them and. We're doing the same thing for here. We got some guests right now, and this is all live. We're doing this through Discord. So if you're not part of the the live Discord chat, you know you're missing out. This is uh, some really sweet behind the scenes looks at uh, how we normally podcast. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot. Uh, we're we're all enjoying this experience very very much, and we we hope everyone in the chat's enjoying it. And eventually, this will drop Wednesday as usual. But all in all, this is a fun experience. Yeah, most definitely. So, this is episode 75, um, and the boys are back in town. We got Sam, <laughs> we got Andy, we got some... Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, we got some guests, and we're going to kick it off with uh, seeing how everyone's doing. So, uh, Stan, how you been this week? Oh, you asked me. You usually ask Andy first. I was caught completely off guard. Oh, okay. No, I, I have... Uh, Changing it up for episode 75. I am almost finished playing Doom. 
Um, I'm on the last, the second to last, or the last chapter in the game. Um, loving this game a lot. I mentioned on the on the podcast several weeks ago, but I finally got around to putting a lot of time into it this week, and I'm almost done. Uh, definitely one for the uh, game of the year list, at least my personal game of the year list. It's it, it, judging by how I feel about it, judging, judging based on what's left to come this year, we'll see. But as of right now, it's going to make my game of the year list, I think. It's just, it's really good, and it's going to end at a perfect hour because I'm just starting to feel fatigued with the relentless bloodshed that I'm, I'm committing in hell right now. And, and that's a good sign that you should probably be wrapping up the show because I, I've been busting a lot of demons heads and it's starting to get a little, just, just a touch tiring because I've been doing it for like 15 hours at this point, you know, and it's, it's a really good game. You, there's, you go to hell, but then you come back from hell, then you go to hell again. So it's you're bouncing back and forth between Mars and hell the entire game, and it's just it's just been an awesome ride. And they they're constantly giving you new weapons every time. I feel like I've gotten the last craziest weapon, and they can't give me anything else. They give me something even crazier. So I just got the BFG nine thousand. I got the the gauze rifle that shoots like a beam of energy. It just that they give you like a chain gun that you can transform into a, mo- a mobile turret, so you can be like Bastion. <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah, hell? this game is crazy. It gets real crazy. It's it's a lot of fun, and and it does it does what I wish Alien Isolation did, and it ends at fifteen hours and doesn't drag it on for for twenty. <sighs> That's me. It's <That's> awesome, <laughs> Andy. How about you? I've been uh, I don't, I don't even know what I've done in the past week to be <laughs> honest. Lack of sleep, a lot of Pokemon Go, some comics. uh, What level are you in Pokemon Go, by the way? 20 still. So I'm not not gaining levels that fast. I'm still level like 14. I'm still level 15. Until they update update the game where it'll run in the background, I don't, like, it's too annoying for me to pull up that shit every time I go for a walk, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I did... Something I never thought I'd do for this game, and that's run for a Pokemon. Uh, we were in Central Park, and a Snorlax spawned in the middle of Central Park. Mind you, I was in the south entrance, so I ran from the south entrance to mid-Central Park to catch a fucking Snorlax, and I caught it. You caught it? I caught it. <laughs> What's your highest uh, Pokey? Right now, it is an Exeggutor at... 104, uh, 1,400 CP. Do you name your Pokemon? Uh, sometimes. Like, my, um, <laughs> my Exeggutor's name is King Munch. And, uh... <laughs> Why is it called King Munch? That's a very long story. Alright, well, alright. Um, long story short, my girlfriend's friends were, uh, we were at a diner. When I evolved my execute, and they were talking about out eating each other, like with food, and I came up with the name King Munch and done deal. My executor is, has a pretty straightforward name. His name is Kilconut. Kilconut. <laughs> Kilconut. <laughs> that is such a perfect name. I know, right? Uh, I don't know. I'm not good with names right now. 
I'm just I I just I, I also I'm I also like Stan like I just kind of for well what I found it really annoying to always pull it out and sometimes I I legit forget to pull out my my phone or, or pull up the app so that's kind of kind of the reason why I I'm also still at 15. I'm really hoping they. Well, that, 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 that's actual. We'll, we'll put a pin in that. That's gonna be news for later. But I did hear about this brand new app, uh, but it's only for Android devices. It works a lot like the Pokemon Go Plus. You don't have to open up your Pokemon Go app. Uh, it's a separate app altogether, and it buzzes or gives you a notification whenever a Pokemon is near. So it works in the background, except it doesn't have. I, I actually, I actually physical. have this app. Exactly, but uh, I don't know if it's kosher, like it, it, like if it breaks some sort of the pri- uh, proprietary. It rules. is called Poke Notify. It walks. It works along uh, the app or website PokeVision, and what it does is it vibrates or notifies you uh, when you get too close to a Pokemon that's on this list that you pick out. Um, so, for instance, the other day, just to test it out, um, I did Bellsprout, and when I got close to a Bellsprout, two hours later, it just kind of, like, buzzed and notified me that I was about, I think it was, like, 200 meters away from the Bellsprout. As you walk towards it, the numbers go down, and as you walk away from it, the numbers go up. Sebastian in the chat has a comment. He says, it was freaking epic going to Central Park. Um, there's over 400 p- people running in to get Pokemons. You too can go in the chat if you just follow the Discord link, uh, discordapp.com slash channel. It has 1902531339794513939 slash 1902531339794. Four, five, one, three, nine, three. Um, <laughs> which, which, which Sebastian did and, and, and made his comment. And he said, my, I named my Pokemon after characters from Overwatch. Like by Magmar is named Tobjorn, which is a great name for Magmar. That is an amazing <laughs> name for a Magmar. Um, well, shit. But yeah. Um, so news flash. I'm gonna bring it back to deep cups. KO! You win! Tiger! Japan! USA! Alright. Newsflash. So, for our first piece of news, for me, the, the Rocketeer. The movie that came out, I think, 96. It holds a special place in my heart. I I love this movie so much. It didn't really do well in the theaters, but it, it has since then become a cult classic. It's an homage and a tribute to the pulpy serials of the 30s and 40s. It's basically this pilot who gets his hands on a jetpack that was stolen from Howard Hughes and some uh, Timothy Dalton's a Nazi and he's trying to get the jetpack back so the Nazis can create a airborne paratrooper shock trooper unit. It's super campy over the top and I think it was just like a good old-fashioned feel-good fun action movie 
uh, or superhero movie. I, I consider it a superhero movie. I, this is one of my all-time favorite films. And a couple days ago, they announced that Disney is going to do a sequel slash reboot. So in this uh, new movie, uh, we don't have an exact release date, but uh, it's still in the same universe. But it's not the same Rocketeer. The original Rocketeer was Cliff Secord. He's the stunt pilot, and uh, the leading lady was Jennifer Connelly. There's a brand new character. It's going to be a young teenage black female leading character. She's going to take up the mantle of the Rocketeer. This, the new movie is going to take place six years after the original movie. Cliff, the original Rocketeer, he's not going to be in the movie. He's going to be off fighting the Nazis. And she's going to get her, the, a hold over the the rocket technology. Uh, and she's trying to keep away from a corrupt and evil scientist who's trying to use it to advance evil ends, uh, a very key turning point in the Cold War. Uh, so this is not the same directors as the first Rocketeer, which is kind of a shame, um, but... Well, the new show, uh, new runners or other project is Max Winkler and Matt Spicer. Uh, I'm sure they'll do a great job. And the the leading producer is Brigham Taylor, who also did work producing The Jungle Book, which was an incredible movie. So um, I'm very optimistic about this movie. So yep, that's I'm so a brand new Rocketeer movie. I'm sold, and it's gonna be a brand new hero. I love legacy characters, so I think it'll be a great new addition to the Rocketeer lore. And uh, another thing about the, another great fact about the Rocketeer, I, did, I think this is common knowledge, but uh, the directors of the Rocketeer they also did Captain America: The First Avenger. So if you watch those two side by side, they they both have a very uh, similar tone and feel, uh, which is another reason to to love the Rocketeer. I've never actually seen the Rocketeer, so I highly recommend it. Um, I think I think it's one of Timothy Dalton's best works. I mean, he just chews the scenery, and the action is really cool. Um, it, it's just a time. It just honors like the classic, the classic radio dramas of pulp, pulp fiction. So like Dick Tracy or The Shadow. Uh, I, I at the moment I don't know. It's not on Netflix or any other streaming service, but I'm sure you could just rent it. Uh, I I recommend you guys watch it. I'll definitely check it out. Cool. Speaking of heroic characters, we have some new reveals with the mo- some of the most heroic characters in the DC Comics universe and the CW universe. Uh, Supergirl, uh, Stan, how about you take this one? So, uh, they released a promo pic of Supergirl and Superman. Um, Tyler Hoechlin, I guess his name is. For, um, they announced him as playing Superman for Supergirl Season 2, and for the first time, they showed him in his costume, standing next to Supergirl, alongside many Flint's Flair. Uh, Flint's Flares? Flint's Flares. There's a lot of him. But anyway, <laughs> suit looks awesome. Um, I love the way it wraps around his shoulders, the cape, and has that like gold trim connecting it to the rest of his suit. It, it looks really good. It's one of the better Superman suits I've seen in live action, even even counting uh, the Batman Superman suit and any, anything, any of that trash coming out of Smallville and <laughs> Lois and Clark, whatever. It, it looks really slick, and I'm super excited that, that Superman's joining the CW universe and he's going to be around 
and potentially being a character that could show up in the Flash. I mean, now it's like the only character they're missing is Batman. Yeah, honestly, it's at this it's point, crazy. Just bring just bring Batman into Arrow or something, and and give us the TV Justice League because. This is just really awesome. I, I can't wait to watch season two of Supergirl. And I Both of their uh, suits, like the side-by-side pictures, it just looks so nice. Yeah, I, I still haven't gone around to seeing season one of Supergirl. I'm going to do that really quick right before season two starts because Super I like Supergirl a lot. Um, from what I only seen the, um, the crossover episode with The Flash, but I really liked it. So I, I can't wait to watch more. And I cannot wait to see Superman. Come back to TV. And then uh, in Supergirl Season 1, they also show Martian Manhunter. That's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, so maybe we'll have Martian Manhunter versus Superman. <laughs> we got to give a shout out to Josh, who who put it out very, very excitedly and all in caps that, man, this Superman, he has, he's bringing the badaka dung. Like, his super ass is super. Like, I posted a, a picture in the chat like this 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 butt is so well toned and, <laughs> and, and and sculpted like a greek statue it's 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 so impressive and beautiful as josh and, says henry cavill ain't got nothing ain't got shit on him cavill's got the pecs hochland's got the ass and that sums yeah. it up <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're totally gonna share this picture on, on the Super Nerd Pals group because this has, this has to be shared with the universe. So good, good on your DC, good on, good on your CW. We, we, we know that you look out for your fans. So going back to Pokemon Go, uh, Andy, you could take this one. So in some not so fortunate news, the Pokemon Go Plus has actually been pushed back to september now i feel like by the time you actually get this thing in your hands you'll have already completed the pokedex yeah nintendo (laughs) hasn't revealed a reason why they pushed it back it was actually supposed to release earlier this month but then for whatever reason i mean later this month but for whatever reason they spoke no more about it and now they pushed it back to september um, like like beginning of September, end of September? Or uh, I don't think there's a date on it. It's literally just going to be question mark. Let's see. September? Checking check my, uh, my resources. Yeah, it just says September 2016. Oh, okay. Um, it's pretty crazy. My, my coworker pointed this out to me earlier today. Uh, people are already reselling their Pokemon Go Plus... Uh, devices. On eBay, yeah, for absorbent prices, yep. and it's not even out yet. A little, and... uh, I think I've seen, I think I've seen it reach as high as a little over two hundred dollars. The Ace Killer, bring on the knowledge, two hundred plus. That's ridiculous. No thanks. I'll just stick to my reserved copy for thirty-five. Thank you. I will just not even fucking entertain the idea of someone. Having... Someone actually informed me today that uh, the GameStop that they had went to were only taking 15 reservations and there were a little over like 50 people on that line waiting to get a uh, a reserve for it crazy uh we have a comment from sebastian that's saying uh uh, oh not just that people are selling their pokemon go accounts for over two thousand dollars why oh my gosh i i 
Why? What's loaded on there? I, I, have, I, have they reached level cap, or do they have all the Pokemon filled what, up? What you you guys think? But I think half, more than half, the fun is catching them and raising them yourself. So if you were to buy an account that just had a high number, like a high level, and had the Pokedex filled out, like what the fuck is the point? Yeah, there's no point in playing the game if someone's doing the job for me. You just you gotta catch, ca- gotta catch them all, not gotta. Buy them all. And that's how I feel about people who try to quote unquote cheat or hack away around Pokemon Go. Like all these horror stories of people tying or taping their phones to ceiling fans or someone being gullible enough to believe that if you microwave your phone, it'll do something or. I, uh, I actually physically saw someone that had a hacked Pokemon Go account, which had a D-pad on it. And it allowed you to move your avatar. So while he was standing in my job, he was actually like his character in Pokemon Go was in Japan collecting like all of the and uh, there were a lot of like lore modules. And he was just collecting all the Pokemon that popped up on the lore modules. And as he was standing, since your character's moving, you're still collecting meters and stuff. So like he was hatching eggs also. It was insane. Wow. The only hack that I feel is pretty cool, and I don't have any judgments again uh, or against it, uh, using a quadcopter and strapping your phone to it. I think that's pretty cool. There was a, I think it was a Reddit post uh, where someone described it, and then PewDiePie, like earlier this week, he, on video, he documented the entire process where you have like a DJI Phantom quadcopter, uh, you put your your phone into like a cardboard casing you tape it and then you run you stream the program through your pc and then you through a transmitter you you can see the drone and the footage of your phone and it ties back to your computer and then you can also just you know swipe uh swipe on your your desktop for pokemon and uh i thought it was a really really cool setup i i i'm pretty fond of like keeping up with news about drones and how people are utilizing the, the technologies you know people are using it to do drone racing um and pokemon go and, and quadcopters it, you know it happened like the week it dropped i think I, th- I thought it was pretty cool i mean it's still cheating but i think i could let that slide because it, it takes, well, that a, takes a, a lot of effort to do so yeah you kind of you kind of deserve that cheat flying a drone is so much fun so i mean let us well play pokemon while doing it yeah well that's about it for news one last thing for news released with the killing joke movie there was a special feature uh teasing or it was a trailer for the new justice league dark movie that's uh, dc's next animated project this looks so dope i'm so excited i think dc's taking some really cool risks uh or or cool directions with Justice, justice league dark um for those who are not familiar justice league dark is basically a an outsider slash misfits sort of team composed of uh, supernatural uh, or horror or magical based heroes or anti-heroes. So in this lineup, it's going to be John Constantine, which is really exciting because Matt Ryan from the NBC Constantine show, he's reprising his role as Constantine. He's doing the voice in, in this movie, which is really great. I know so many fans were, wanted Constantine to be to be saved from the chopping block and 
at, at, at this point, like CW hasn't picked it up, Netflix hasn't picked it up, so Constantine's kind of in a limbo. But at least we have Matt Ryan returning to the show or returning to Constantine. So you have Constantine, you have Zatanna, Etrick and the Demon, um, Swamp Thing, Batman's there, and Green Lantern has some presence in the movie. Oh, and Dead Man. Dead Man's also there. Um, so the trailer looks so dope. It looks really dark. The fight choreography and the special effects with all the, the crazy magic and sigils and explosions and lots of really, really surprisingly scary and graphic uh, body horror. Like all these demonic creatures are everywhere. Like they, like a creature opens its mouth and, and in its mouth is like a giant eyeball wrapped around in teeth. And I am so stoked. Yeah, I think Justice League Dark's gonna be pretty fucking awesome. I really like um, the comic book, so I can't wait for this animated movie. And um, I also wish, uh, you know, we we hear this on the rumor mirror like every now and then, but Guillermo del Toro really wanted to produce or direct a Justice League Dark movie. I don't know where that is right now, but if I would love del Toro, it just Justice League Dark is a perfect perfect match. Uh, but so far, nothing substantial. Um, I hope DC will bring that back to the table. So that's it for news. So we're going to move on to our first topic. Uh, this is my topic. For those who don't know, I'm obsessed with anime. And the summer anime season has been going on for about f- f- almost five weeks or by now. So I'm just going to give a quick run through of my top picks for this summer's best anime. So the first one, Food Wars Season 2. I love food anime. Think of it as like Iron Chef, but in high school. The Ace Killer, you never see. I highly recommend it. Uh, season 1's been out for quite a while. Season 2 started premiering about a couple weeks ago. We're into episode 4. They premiere actually each each Friday. So actually, I think latest episode should be out by now. It's a really over-the-top Iron Chef-like anime. Um, exactly. So it, they people fight each other with food. So the 10-second the, the origin, Yukihiro Soma, he's a high school student. And he works in his father's restaurant. It's a small-town diner. And he's really well-known to be a super creative cook. All of a sudden, his father closes down the restaurant and sends his son to this uh, culinary school, which happens to be the most elite food academy in all of Japan. There's a 4% graduation rate. The name of the title in Japanese is called Shokugeki no Soma. What a Shokugeki is, is a, it's a food battle. So it's basically, again, Iron Chef, uh, there's a judge, whether it be a teacher or someone on the school board, and the two students duke it out with for the, for the knowledge and passion for food, and the recipes are amazing. Every every episode has a foodgasm. They get they go really over the top with how people react to food. I think it's hilarious. I think of it like Iron Chef meets Kill a Kill. It has that same sort of vibe where you have to fight your way up to, up the chain to become the king of the high school, become the ultimate chef in high school. And this high school has ridiculous influence and power over the entire culinary world so i cannot recommend this enough with season two uh episode four right now main arc is the students are competing in this giant tournament to see who gets elected 
to the student council body and the stakes are being really ratcheted up we had some really great battles there was a bento box battle uh, a hamburger battle a ramen battle and the cliffhanger for the, this past episode is really intense because uh soma yeah <laughs> uh the ace killer just said i'm gonna kill you with my mozzarella stick shuriken um yeah it gets pretty ridiculous like that so that you're not far off at all the cliffhanger for episode four which soma is putting his entire career on the line like he's he accepted a food challenge where if he loses he'll quit being a chef for forever so oh the stakes are high it's it's really awesome uh second anime it's called ra0 starting life in another world there's a lot of anime that features the trope of a anime protagonist suddenly being transported into another world and they they gotta figure it out they gotta adapt and survive so there's so many of these you know you got sword art online you got overlord you got konosoba uh no game no life um so re zero is another one in this drama but this is probably one of the most brutal most visceral and most emotionally racking anime in tap in that type of genre uh it's a light novel series it's been adapted into a 26 episode series. It started in April. It's still going on. I think they're going to be in episode 18, and that's going to be premiering this coming Sunday. So when this episode comes out on Wednesday, it'll already be out. So the basic premise is uh, Subaru Natsuki on his way home from coming from a convenience store. He suddenly gets transported to another world. It's super fantasy. Think of it like like Final Fantasy. Or like Dragon Qu- He has no idea why he got summoned there. And he later befriends a silver-haired girl. Uh, she's also a half-elf. But uh, Subaru and the girl are mysteriously killed. But then Subaru finds out that he has this mysterious ability where he awakens. And he finds out he's okay. But he's caught in a time loop. So it's a lot like Groundhog Day. Where he- whenever he dies... He revives in like a quote unquote checkpoint, and only he has the memories of his prior time loops or prior lives. He calls his ability rebirth by death. So, with each time he lives and dies, he has to figure out a way to resolve or to progress through this higher or hidden agenda that's seemingly at play. And, like I said before, this is extremely brutal and visceral. Like, I Watching it, you after you watch an episode, you need you need to like eat a tub of ice cream, because the feels. Um, it it kind of sounds like that movie uh, "Live Die Repeat," but slightly different because uh, no one else. Well, like it's a checkpoint; it doesn't start from the beginning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? I I I think tonally it's a lot like Dark Souls. Um, there's a lot of hidden horrors, and it just. It gets horribly gruesome and, and thing, shit, things go to hell really quickly. Uh, I didn't think of it that way. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. It's going to be 26 episodes. I don't know if they're going to be confirmed for a second season yet. But you have a fair amount to catch up already. Uh, episode 18 is actually a longer episode. Because there's so much to fit in. Because it's, try- it's, it's trying to keep up with the the light novels. So with this one, I believe it's the fifth or sixth light novel. 
and people were joking that people were saying there's so much gore so much horror that they had to like cut out all the commercials just to fit it into one episode so i'm really excited for episode 18 so i'm gonna wrap it up really quickly uh, with the next two anime the first one mob psycho 100 for 2015 one Punch Man was the anime of the year. So the creator of One Punch Man, uh, his pseudonym is One. This is second anime project based on his work. It, the art is not done by the same animation guy who did One Punch Man, uh, whose name is Yosuke Murata. The art style for One for Mob Cycle One Hundred is a lot lot closer to One's original webcomic uh, style. So quite a few characters look like. Saitama's dirt face, but with different hair or different uh, costumes. Right now, I'm really enjoying it. So it's it's like a supernatural anime. Uh, so it involves this kid named Shigeo. He's, um, but everyone calls him Mob. Apparently, Mob is a slang for John Doe, and he's a very unremarkable average middle school student. He wants to be happy. He wants to be popular. Uh, right now, his life doesn't really go anywhere. Um, like all this, he, he's not, he's not popular at all. And he, what free time he has, uh, is being eaten up. He's, he's pulled in to work in for a occult detective agency. Cause in reality, Shigeo is like an Omega level Esper. Like he has psychic powers comparable to like Jean Grey and Xavier. He's ex- immensely powerful. He's also doesn't have complete control over his powers. So it's really tied to his emotions, so in order to keep his powers in check, he has to force himself to be emotionless and keeps everything bottled up inside. So a running theme throughout the show is uh, whenever he uh, holds his emotions in, he has like an internal gauge that breaks uh, that pops up. It's called like his psychometer, and um, you know he he's just a teenage kid dealing with life, and you know that comes with everyday problems, but he also happens to have psychic powers. So the more he keeps it in, the more he keeps it bottled up, you know, it's just going to go down. So I think that's what happens in the next episode. Uh, it's a really cool episode. It's really, really funny. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And my last uh, my last summer pick is 91 Days, and it's a badass mafia anime. Um, there's not a lot of mafia anime out there. Like the two most prominent ones I could think of is Bacano and uh, Black Lagoon. Both of which are very good titles. Uh, 91 Days, uh, it's dramatic anime. It's set during the Prohibition era. Angelo Lagusa, seven years ago, his entire family is murdered in front of him uh, in a mob hit. And it's tied to the Venetti crime family. So he goes into hiding and he gets a mysterious letter which beckons him back into the city. It reveals uh, key information about his parents or his family's killer. So... 91 Days follows the epic story of of Angelo, who's going under a, a new name, and he's trying to... It's like a, a tale of revenge. Uh, he, he's going to take down the entire crime family, family uh, from the inside out, and it's so legit. I'm really excited. So yeah, uh, those are my picks for summer anime. So again, Food Wars Season 2, RE0, Mob Psych 100, and 91 Days. Nice. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Chris. All right, so the next topic is uh, Stan, and, uh, Stan talking about comics. Yeah, so the only book that I managed to read this week was Batgirl number one. It's a brand new creative team now that Babs Tarr, Cameron Stewart, Brandon Fletcher have left um, Batgirl. 
So that girl rebirth happened, and now we have a new number one. Um, Hope Larson is a writer. Raphael Albuquerque is the artist. Um, Dave McKay is colors, so on and so forth. Um, Batgirl's cool because it picks up where the original Batgirl, the New 52 Batgirl ended, where she's going to Japan to train. And this picks up with her in Japan. And it turns out Barbara Gordon speaks fluent Japanese, which is pretty cool. Um, so she's, so you find out that she's tracking down someone called Fruit Bat, who was a vigilante in, um, Japan in the 1930s, who apparently is still alive. And it's pretty cool because when she finds her, she's like this really old woman, but she's still fighting as Fruit Bat. So she's like over a hundred years old and she's still like this superhero and she's got these cool robes that she fights with. And there's this cool segment where... Someone throws a knife at Fruit Bat and she blocks it instantly. And Batgirl was like, that was incredible. How did you do that? And she was like, I didn't. How did you move so? She's basically like, how did you move so fast to block that knife? And Fruit Bat goes, I didn't move fast to block it. I blocked it before the knife was even thrown. And I was like, oh, man, there's some badass <laughs> shit going on here. So essentially, Barbara Gordon goes to Japan to learn how to be a better fighter. And she tracks down Fruit Bat. And it's essentially a quest for her to train and become a better superhero. And she's there's also a side plot going on with... I'm not really sure. They don't really reveal what's going on. It, they sort of lay the seeds of, of there being something going on behind the scenes. Uh, she finds one of her friends. An old friend of hers living in Japan that she starts traveling with. And apparently he might have ties to some criminal activity and she's kind of sticking with him to see what that might be because he looks just like a normal friend on the surface. So it's got a little mystery going on there and it's a cool start to, to a new chapter of Batgirl. I was hopeful, but iffy um, after the last creative team left, but you know, that's what happens with comic books. They're, they're always changing creative teams after a while. So I, you know, it's par for the course. Um, I like where they're going so far. It's like all the DC rebirth books. It's only two ninety nine. Um, arts on point. Um, it's different. It's, it's the same costume as the Burnside Batgirl. They didn't, it's not too different. Um, she's still leading Gordon Clean Energy, which is the company she started at the end of the last series. So everything is pretty much where it is. So it's 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 fine, you know. I I like the the action, the the layouts, the artwork, and I like the story, and I like the fact that she's training to be better. And I like this new character, this fruit bat character, who's just a really old woman who's really good at kung fu and being like this this vigilante at her age. And Barbara even says in the book that superheroes only tend to live to like 40. <laughs> they don't have a long lifespan. So she wants to know what Fruit Bat's secret is. And so the it sort of ends on this idea that Batgirl is going to improve. And maybe she'll learn the Kamehameha or something like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where this is going. It's, it's a cool, it's, it's cool. It's different. It's, it takes Batgirl out of Gotham for the foreseeable future. So I, I, I like, I, I like where this is going. I like the introduction, the introduction of the new Japanese superhero who we haven't seen before, and I hope that there's more of that going forward. I don't know how long she's going to be there um, in Japan, but I like what I see so far, and 
I recommend That's it. That's awesome. Stan, I have a question. So you said uh, Fruit Bat's an entirely new and original character. Uh, is Fruit Bat like, based on any other prior characters? Or is like a reimagining? Like, what I thought was like Grant Morrison, like uh, how he took... He, like, he went back in Batman's history and found like Bat Manga. And he then he for his for his own run and like Batman Incorporated, he took the character Lord Deathman, which was a super obscure Japanese supervillain, and like reintroduced him into then the current continuity at the time. So I was wondering if that was the same thing with Fruit Bat. As far as I know, no, I think she's a original creation for this run. I don't know for certain if she is or not, but I I have a feeling because. Uh, there's a scene where Batgirl explains to her friend who this fruit bat essentially is. Makes me think that it's an original character, but mm-hmm. I could be wrong. But I, I think she's new. Uh, her name is Chiyo Yamashiro. Um, according to Batgirl, she fought crime in the 40s, unmasked in the 80s, and still is living in Japan at 104. And even though, uh, according to her, she is no longer active, she fruit bat basically shows up super old woman to save Batgirl, more or less. So it's it's a cool introduction, and I hope I see more of her, because she's, like, completely badass. She's, imagine, like, Anna plus 50 more years tacked on. That's pretty much what Fruit Bat is like right now. So I just looked up uh, Fruit Bat and DC Comics, and one of the first results was Fruit Batman from Little Gotham. And Fruit Batman was one of the analog Batman brought to a little Gotham defeat Clock King. So it's literally a Fruit Bat dressed up with a domino mask and a cape. <laughs> so definitely not uh, your Fruit Bat. When I looked up uh, Fruit Bat, the first thing that I saw was uh, was uh, Fruit Batman and uh, the Simpsons version of Fruit Batman. <laughs> Which is Mr. Burns dressed as Batman. <laughs> yeah, so so this leads leaves us off and um, Batgirl two number two, which is coming out next month, essentially um, teases the fact that Batgirl trying to follow the advice of Fruit Bat ends up with her joint um, like diving into the dangerous world of MMA fighting, and they're also might be setting up Barbara and her friend that's introduced in this book to be like a possible romantic person. But I don't like that. I liked it better when she was dating uh, Luke Fox, you know, uh, Batwing. And I think they might've just broken that off because she mentioned something about her ex or whatever, which sucks because they didn't, they never had the opportunity to dive into that relationship. It, It was brief. And I wish they kept that going because I, I'm not really into this new guy who is kind of like a big, doofy like useless dude who doesn't needs to be saved all the time i mean maybe that's what you see right now yeah yeah because it is implied that there's more to him than meets the eye but um his name is kai he reminds me a lot of i don't know if you ever seen flintstones where they're all where like bam bam and pebbles are adults but he looks like adult bam bam (laughs) he's just like a big like meathead kind of guy and i don't know I'm not. I'm not into him. But yeah, Batgirl number one was awesome. I recommend it. Nice. Read it. Nice. I might check that out just to see what's going on with this uh, fruit bat. Yeah, fruit bat has definitely grabbed my attention. That sounds. She sounds so cool. 
badass granny superhero or hero of legend. There's been a lot of that going on, you know, with Anna and now Fruit Bat. Uh, who else? Yeah. Who else should be a badass granny superhero? Um, Martha Kent. Martha Kent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's secretly a Kryptonian. Oh, that'd be so dope. Alright, so now let's, uh, I guess we move on to comic polls. Yeah, let's... Polls of the week! For this coming Wednesday, Wednesday, August 3rd, these are the book, the comic books coming out on Wednesday, August 3rd, and these are some of the ones that we picked that most interest us. So Andy, why don't you start? So for me this week, Nightwing issue 2. You still gotta tell us about Nightwing 1. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet. I know, but you gotta do but it. But I'm gonna read it, and I'm gonna read issue two, and next week I shall have a review for it. And we got Spidey issue nine. Spidey! Can't wait. Who's the villain in Spidey nine? I don't know. Uh, Craven? Yeah, Craven the Hunter. Yeah. Hopefully. He's driving the Craven. They bring in the Craven for this one. Uh, yeah. Aside, um, Howard the Duck is coming to, to an end soon. Issue 11 is going to be the last issue of Howard the Duck. R.I.P. Howard. Yeah. I, that book was so funny and so good. It, I don't think it was the one that introduced the Craven, but it was definitely the Squirrel Girl Howard the Duck crossover where the Craven made its debut, which is the best vehicle-based uh, <laughs> addition to the comic book universe since the Spidey-mobile. It is also the most awesome name. Yeah, the Craven. It makes so much sense. I mean, with with Howard the Duck gone, that, that Squirrel Girl is going to be the only comedic title in Marvel's uh, ongoing run, right? Or are they going to replace it with something else? I don't think they're replacing it. They When they mentioned it, they said it was planned from the start for Howard the Duck to end on this issue. So it, it wasn't canceled per se. It, it just ran its course. And... It's, I mean, it's sad to see Howard that go. Squirrel Girl is still going strong, knock on wood. Squirrel Girl is my favorite, one of my favorite books from Marvel. Uh, read Squirrel Girl. Hashtag read Squirrel Girl. Um, anyway, my pulls. Um, Harley Quinn number one, they're rebooting this book again. It's $2.99, which is what it should have been the entire time. They raised the price halfway through the original run for no reason. Um, I don't know what's going on. Is it a new creative team, same creative team? I'm not sure. I'm just picking it up because it's the new number one because I'm a sucker. Um, it's, and it's also two ninety nine. Yeah, it's two ninety nine. Um, it's still in Coney, still the same cast as the original, uh, the previous run rather. And according to the in, the information about the issue, it's going to be a zombie apocalypse that Harley Quinn gets caught in the middle of because you know we need another, we need another one of those. You may have <laughs> just fucking sold me on this already. Yeah, that's so Harley's fighting zombies is the pitch for Harley number one. Um, the other one is Superman number four. Uh, I mentioned on this, was it last week about Superman fighting Superman? Eradicator? Yeah, yeah. Eradicator. This is the continuation of that. Uh, so it's going to be Superman and Jonathan fighting Eradicator and Super Saiyan 2 Jonathan. Super Saiyan 2 Jonathan. Um, this is, it's awesome. It's, it's great so far. I, I had no intention of collecting Superman. I was just sticking to action comics but Superman has been well written. Um, I really like Jonathan as a character, and so I'm 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 in it for now. So nice. I'm I'm 
excited to see where they go with the Eradicator and and raising Jonathan to be a superhero in his own right and to join Damien in Super Sons, which I can't wait for. Yeah, that... Oh my god. That sounds so good. And Chris, your pulse? Hopping off of Stan, um, just, just from Stan's reviews of Superman alone... Um, I'm definitely going to pick up number four because um, uh, back in the day with the, the reign of the Superman, like my two favorite su- uh, Superman were Eradicator and Cyborg Superman. Um, so I'm really happy to see that Eradicator's back in comics. He's kicking and he's uh, being, I don't know if I could count him as a villain, but like he I ain't fucking crypto, dude. He's a villain, right? Okay, there you go. Fair enough. Crypto to super dog. How are you going to do that? He tried to eat the human half of Jonathan, if that's even possible. I really want to... I mean, I'm going to get Super Sons anyway, and judging from Stan's review of, like, Super Saiyan 2, uh, Jonathan just going going ape shit, and he's going to fight the Eradicator. Sounds so cool. And so I need to hop boy. I need to catch up. Um, so I'm going to stop by my comic book shop, pick up all the issues, and get caught up. Uh, and I also pick uh, just in time for four. Um, but for my other pools, um, I cannot recommend the new Batman title by uh, Tom King and David Finch. Uh, it's so good. I ha- I didn't have a chance to talk about it in the, uh, issue three in the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, but it's a really cool book. Batman's doing his thing, but two super power uh, super powered uh, heroes show up called Gotham and Gotham Girl. They had the powers of Superman or Supergirl, but they're very naive. They don't have like the years of experience that Batman does. So they're asking Batman to take them under their wing. So issue three was a origin issue for Gotham and Gotham Girl. And they had a very, very similar origin story to Bruce. You know, in the alley, their parents were uh, were about to be killed by a mugger, but... Instead of them dying, uh, Batman actually saves the, their parents. So they're inspired by his uh, heroics to also become superheroes. They don't they don't uh, go into how they acquired their superpowers yet, but uh, like frame by frame, they 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 take out like they make references to very iconic uh, training montage sort of panels that occurred in other Batman comics. So it's a very fitting. Uh, parallel to Batman origin story. Uh, at the end of the issue, Doctor Hugo Strange it reveals himself, and he also uh, teased the arrival of this this really, I guess like a like a D list villain uh, named or Psycho Pirate, who has the power to control and manipulate emotions. In terms of in world continuity and logic, like. Professor Strange, who is a master of uh, manipulation, psychology, pairing up with a, a, a supervillain that can uh, manipulate emotions. That's like a, a match made in hell. I mean, that, that's a very dangerous combination. So that's the, the plot for, or the premise for four. Strange and Psycho Pirate putting their, uh, at least like phase one or two of their master plan into action and seeing how Bats and the Gotham team handles it. So super excited for that. And then I I love Image, so I always take jump on the opportunity to pick up a number one whenever a new uh, a new title comes out. So Edward Brubaker, oh, I'm sorry, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips 
uh, the writing team. They're launching a new book called Kill or Be Killed. It's a story that unpacks and criticizes and explores the limitations of vigilantism. So it's about a story of a young man who's forced to kill bad people and how that burden of being a vigilante affects his relationships and his family and how it and how it basically ruins him. It's basically a story of how vigilantes uh, like can destroy you. Uh, so it's a, it seems like a very dark, cerebral, uh, serious book. Um, so I'm really excited for this book. So that comes out next week as well. Cool. So that's it for the pools. So we can uh, head into our big topic for the week. Topic of the show. Yes. The topic of the show. So this past Monday... Um, also Tuesday, technically, because it, it got an extra day for screenings. But Monday, The Killing Joke was released in theaters, and it's also released uh, on on digital release. So like iTunes or uh, digital Blu-ray. So we're going to re- review the, jo- the Killing Joke. We have a lot to p- unpack. We have some conflicting, opposing, and very complex thoughts on the movie. Where do I begin? The Killing Joke is The Killing Joke. It's pretty much what I expected. Um, Did you read the book? Yeah, I read the book. Side by, almost side by side identical to the comic. I wasn't as satisfied as watching this as I was reading it. Mm. I don't know what it was, but there was something missing. There There was just something. And the ending is completely 100% unfulfilling. Which is really weird because it ex- ended exactly as it did in the comic book, but I feel like the delivery, like you said, was missing something. Um, for those who don't know, uh, at the end of the Killing Joke, Batman offers his hand to Joker, pr- asking like, "We can work together. We can. We don't have to kill each other." And then Bat- uh, Joker tells this joke. The comic ends up or ends with the both of them laughing. And what's implied is that uh, Joker is making a commentary saying Joker's insane for the reason that, you know, he's so far gone. He doesn't believe he's he can be saved. And he's also laughing at the fact that Batman is, sa- is insane enough to th- actually think or consider or propose that he could save. They could actually work together. They could actually, like, come to a truce. Uh, and Batman finds this it's like a it's a it's a cruel joke but but batman ends up laughing as well uh and that's and uh, so that's the that's the last shot of the movie both of them are uh joker starts laughing and then kevin conrad batman starts laughing and then batman continues to laugh and this the, then it cuts the credits and it is faithful to the ending but it just didn't feel it didn't it didn't strike me home it didn't tug on my heartstrings for some reason as I'm like reading it reading the book like it gives me chills every time but watching it I just felt I felt like I just eaten I, I just finished a meal and then I was still hungry I 100% agree with you Chris there was also that well I don't want to there was that scene during the credits I don't know if you if you saw it yeah of uh, basically Barbara becoming the oracle or whatever I thought the the adaptation of the killing joke itself was pretty much on point it's kind of almost one-to-one there's like a little you know you know it, it couldn't exactly copy the art style 
but it, it does a good job of setting things up and making and, and looking visually similar to the way the Killing Joke is. Man, that first twenty five minutes is just garbage. <laughs> X amount of months before Killing Joke released, they announced that they wanted to add some more meat to the story. They they kind of had a point because the, the Killing Joke graphic novel is pretty short, and even though the delivery was kind of there was something about it that was off. The re- like the Killing Joke story in the movie took like forty five minutes to tell and. Pretty much like B for B, it it hit all the major points. And at the time, I thought I think a lot of people thought that you know, oh, cool, uh, Batgirl's getting some extra story. That's that that seems interesting. I, I'm I'm sure there are some purists out there who thought like, oh, just keep it, just keep it as is with the book. Um, but Batgirl's a really popular character. But <laughs> oh my god, yeah, no, like nope. this th- the thirty minutes. Just cut it out, please. It it they it should never exist. It, it did more damage to Barbara and and Batman's characters yeah. than it than it would have if had they left that out. And it it's just it's so interesting to me that that their intention was to add more to, to Batgirl to Barbara's story and flesh out the story in general, and it just completely just. There's misfiring. There's a uh, one scene which had me dying because I don't I don't know why it just reminded me. So all right, story is Batman and Batgirl get it on. <sighs> so there's the scene where uh, Batgirl's talking to Batman through like the walkie-talkie or whatever. Batman's kind of like high school boyfriend dodging her. Yeah. And she screams out into the microphone, it was just sex. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, that was so not needed. That was so like, why is Batman acting like a child? I don't understand this. And they make Barbara to be a super overly emotional, cringy, like mess and it's like that is not Batgirl that is not Barbara Gordon yeah exactly why are you yeah. writing her that way you guys know that that Batgirl is my favorite character like well not my one of my favorite characters for sure right I what earlier this episode I reviewed Batgirl number one I've been following Batgirl for a while now and I just think it it really damages her character because it reduces it to her just not being very good at her job first of all and like having Batman pretty much tell her she's worthless as Batgirl and her and her pretty much agreeing and giving up on being Batgirl before the first act is over and it turns her into someone who only exists more or less to be a romantic option for Batman and her entire her entire story arc is her wanting to get in those bat pants and it completely ruins this awesome super smart computer hacker ass-kicking character that Barker usually is, and it makes her, like, presents her as being incomplete if she doesn't have a man and doesn't have Bruce. The one thing I will say that added to this was uh, that rooftop scene where uh, she just, like, had enough of Batman shit, and, like, she goes to punch him, and, like, he dodges, but after a while, Batgirl gets, like, a few good hits on him. Yeah. I was like, all right, that's pretty badass. But then that leads to like the horrid the, scene the, after the weird, weird, really uncomfortable sex scene. Because you know what? Even though 
even though the Batman Beyond canon is that Bruce and Barbara like got it on, seeing it happen here really uncomfortable because you and it kind of happens out of nowhere yeah there's like no build-up to it really and it just it's so out of character for bruce and and the thing is is damn what was i saying i'm just like so upset (laughs) um (laughs) i i agree like it's so weird because like bruce tim you know he seems to want to ship barbara and bruce i mean in return of the joker that was their their relationship like however or or whenever or how long however long it was you know that was a a driving wedge that led to the departure of uh, dick grace and nightwing and for a while is it was uh bats and batgirl and a much older uh, commissioner gordon and batman beyond she she revealed to terry that they had a thing but i like i think that the bruce tim verse is like the only universe ever to like pair those pair those two together i can't i don't know i mean stan you would be the best judge because you're you're most knowledgeable about about batgirl but like just the relationship is just it's out of nowhere it's creepy i mean age different age difference aside i mean it's also like the relationship it's like you know the the bats and batgirl have like a sort of like a like a teacher student father daughter sort of relationship and then every instance where i read batgirl you know, every time I see Batgirl and in her interactions with Batman, I totally get the, you know, Batman treating Batgirl as like a child figure, like Batgirl and and it's essentially like Barbara Gordon has two dads, Batman on one hand and Jim Gordon on the other. He's like her biological father. And and that's the sense that I get. And it's the same sense that I get with Dick Grayson and Batman, you know? Yeah. And Dick Grayson, Batgirl, and Batman are sort of the, the Bat family trinity. They're like the main three heroes that come together at the same around the same time. Like when Batman takes Dick as his ward, Barbara comes in on on out of left field with being inspired by Batman, but, you know, doing her own thing and she gets brought into the fold that way. And, and so you have Batman essentially raising two kids, two kids more or less. And, and, you know, it's a little weird when, when, if you think about it that way and then you see Dick and Barbara hooking up, but you know, they're not really related, but still having Batman and Batgirl hook up is really weird, especially since Uh, I feel like, all right, so here's the situation. I feel like, the way that Stan's explaining it, it's like Barbara and Dick are the adopted children of Bruce. More or less. So it's okay like for them because they're not actually related, but for like the father figure yeah, and the, because the child figure, like it's because just weird. While Batman is treating uh, Robin and Batgirl as sort of like his, his students, his, his children more or less... Um, that's not how Dick and Barbara are interacting. They're interacting like friends and then later more, you know? So that's their thing. And that's why almost every time you see any kind of relationship in media that's not comic books, it's always Dick and Barbara are the ones who are together. And so to have have this happen and then to see and to know everything going into this movie that you know about Batgirl, about Bruce Wayne, about how they interact and everything, and then to see them like hook up, it's just really weird and there's no build up to it and and it's just and then like you said earlier andy it completely killed bruce wayne's character because it turns him into this like shitty boyfriend that like does nothing except dodge dodge fucking barbara's calls and you know what 
what's really fucked up is that he shares a fucking laugh with the Joker at the end of the There's- movie. <laughs> After he shot his would-be love interest in the fucking stomach. There's also that scene on the uh, the rooftop. This rooftop scene is fucking powerful for a lot of reasons. I don't think it's in Bruce's character to tell his prodigy that he will never see them as equals. Yeah. Like that, I was like, I was kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Because uh, Barbara's pretty much just saying that she wants to be treated like an equal. And Bruce tells her, you will never be equal. Yeah, it just... I don't understand how they could see this as being something that makes Barbara's character better. Because it really doesn't. Barbara was uh, epically fridged. The Killing Joke is already controversial as it is because of, uh, you know, because Barbara Gordon in the story, she's already in civilian life. And exactly how it happened in the movie, Joker shows up, shoots her in the spine, she gets paralyzed, and then um, she gets undressed, you know, he takes photos. I, some people read into it that she was raped, uh, and it's just, like, really, really skeevy, unselling stuff. Um, and, like, the the point of that, even though fridging's really bad and lazy plot device, is that it's to illustrate, like, how how serious the Joker is about how far he's willing to prove his point that anyone can have a bad day and anyone can go insane like he did. And he's trying to do that to Gordon. But this makes it so much worse because, you know, now the, not only the relationship between it was just pointless and it is out of nowhere. It doesn't really add anything to the characters. It just subtracts from both of them. That pinnacle moment in the killing joke, it serves to like, for lack of a better term, just provide motivating man pain for Batman to just go after the Joker even more, and also to, like, to still play it by the book, even in spite of this additional horror. I mean, it was horrible enough that, you know, Batgirl got paralyzed, but now, like, Bruce has this weird emotional relationship, sexual tension at the back of his mind uh, that he has to deal with, and, and the guilt that comes out of that. And it just, it's so sloppy and plus, it just yeah, doesn't plus work. There's no, there's no uh, wrap up between Bruce and Barbara at the end. You know, he ends, the story ends with him and the Joker. And then we get, we get that credit sequence where she's in the wheelchair and she becomes the Oracle. There's no, there's no closure there. There's no, there's no like, um, there's no what? fulfillment. Yeah, there's, there's no, no fulfillment for, for Barbara's character and her arc. She doesn't have an arc. It, it opens and then it, and it ends. And you know what? There's there were so many good uh, Batgirl centric stories that they could have adapted to the to the beginning of this. For example, the last Batgirl story, which is literally the last time she goes out and and operates as Batgirl before she gives up the mantle and leads into the Killing Joke. Right? That was a much better story. Batgirl was on her own. She had she took on her own villain. She did it. She did it her way. And she kicked the dude's ass, and then she realized it's time to hang up the the cowl, and that, and then that's when she became a civilian. And later, the Killing Joke came out, and that they could have done that, and they could have tweaked that a little bit and added Bruce in some scenes, and to have them maybe work together in the beginning or whatever, and not have fucking sex for no reason, yeah. right? Yeah. And just not have that weird shoehorn romance that serves no purpose but to to service the plot and. 
motivations for Bruce. Yeah, I for for me, like I understand. You know, at the point of the book, you know, Barbara has given up a civilian life, and I, it's just I I didn't want that those circumstances to be the reason why she gave up the mantle. I would I would like I would have loved to see her, you know, just go on a high note. It's like you know, like you know, like you said, Stan, like Batman's or Batgirl's last ride. And she's like, you know, I maybe she has some defining moment where she's like, you know what, I I don't want to do this anymore. I have I want to live my life. I want to do other things. And you know, her and Batman. I feel like it's. I think it would be a much more powerful payoff if like Batgirl and Batman, like like Batman actually acknowledged her as as his equal and showed like a fatherly or or a teacherly pride in her and he respected her decision to like live a normal life because batman you know he's he's he has severe emotional issues he can't give up the mission ever and you know batgirl barbara could have been the person to give it up and still make a life out of herself i think that would have been a very positive plot development and way to spin and then then that makes that makes the tragedy that happens to her like just as powerful in a different direction where like she had a good and then the joker just decided to do his thing and does what he does and destroy lives and ugh. well okay so we we pretty much laid out all the negatives were there any positives that you took away from this movie um, um mark hamill and kevin conroy their performance was spot on as yeah. usual and you know john dimaggio was in it too uh troy baker was in it no no, I'm sorry, not Troy, but Nolan North. Nolan North, he was in there too. So the voice casting was great. And, you know, Mark Hamill doing anything. Mark Hamill doing Joker. I mean, there's just bad points aside. Like, I, I still really enjoyed Hamill's performance. Yeah. I like that this was a less, uh, as of course, how Alan Moore wrote it, a less, like, jokey Joker. Yeah. And more of, like, a serious, I'm gonna fuck shit up to show Batman what I'm capable of. And um, I love Hamill's performance as the Joker. I'm so glad to have him back as Joker in this. And um, I don't know. I feel like everything after that first 20 minutes was amazing. And up until the end where it's left very open-ended. Yeah. Um, for me, Hamill's definitely the, the best part of this. For me. Oh, and, and the... Sorry to cut you off. The Red Hood backstory. Yeah, that's... That's what I was going to transition to. Um, it was the first time I think we've ever seen Mark Hamill voice a Joker that wasn't the Joker. Like that pre-Joker origin story where he's trying to talk normal, but you can you get that little tiny hint of like malice in his voice that comes through later when he goes full Joker at the end. <laughs> and it's, it's just really interesting to see him, to, to hear that, um, because obviously all those parts were present in the, in the comic. So to see that stuff animated, to see Hamill voice that Joker, and to see his take on those scenes was was definitely a highlight for me. Um, definitely the best part was the origin stuff of the Joker. Um, you know, you take take away the Batgirl stuff, you take away all that stuff. The the interplay between Batman and the Joker was really interesting, and you know, Killing Joke was the first DC comic book that I've ever read. It was the it was the, the launching point for me to being like a DC fan. You know, before that, I had never read a comic book from DC. It was mostly Marvel for me. I read Killing Joke, and it was it was dark. It was completely different from what I had been reading at Marvel, and and it 
things took off from there. So there is like a little bit of nostalgic like thing there for me where it's, you know, an adaptation of the first DC book that I've ever read, you know. So so there was that for me. And but like all these years later, because I read that like 18 years ago, maybe even more. So going back to it, seeing like the way Barbara was treated as a character, especially now that I'm a big fan of Barbara, like really took away from the story. And I think even Alan Moore acknowledges his sort of mistreatment of her as a character in the story. But um, other than that, you know, the Joker stuff, it's still like one of the quintessential Joker stories ever, I think, you know, even taking away all the problematic um, Batgirl stuff that's in there. I mean... 25 minutes doesn't help at all but you know that that little that little nugget you know <laughs> is is good and i the ending with um the joke and batman and the joker standing in the rain i think is is cool and i like that they didn't try to like actually do any more with it and and they didn't try to give you a definitive an- answer of what happened in the ending there because a lot of people are saying that in in certain readings of this book of this story, Batman kills the Joker at the end when this when when the camera pans down or whatever, and I think that's an interesting read on it because they do mention them, like how it's supposed to end with them killing, and then Batman tries to give like one last chance at saving the Joker, and so when Joker turns that down, he sees no other option but to end it there. And I think that's an interesting and perfectly valid reading if that's your reading. Um, I'm not sure how I fall on that, but I I definitely like how they ended. Um, the adaptation of this in the movie where they're laughing together but as it pans down you only hear Kevin Conroy's laugh you only hear Batman laughing the Joker stops laughing and then it goes on to the puddle and it's gone and it's it's a great way to still put a question mark on what actually happened there and leave that open to interpretation so I think that was handled really well but for me there's still too many problems it's so glaring the Batgirl stuff that it really hampers the rest of the movie for me even though i like the nuggets that are that are still there again again with killing joke it was very like aside from the first 25 minutes it was very faithful um i don't know what what i i it was just me but i felt like some of the animation was was kind of choppy um i don't see that. like i remember this one scene one scene in particular where um Oh, I hate this guy. The 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 Paris Franz guy. He, like three prostitutes were leaving his yacht, and they were walking away. And then it became like really janky. I don't. I it just for some parts of the the movie just didn't seem to flow. But then then you got like the incredible fight scene with like between like that short fight scene between Batgirl and Batman, which I thought was beautifully choreographed and animated. But then other parts just seemed off or just weird and wonky i don't know maybe it's just me but i don't know i and i again like mark hamill his performance is great but i don't i think even with incredible performances i don't think it was quite enough to pull killing, killing joke into an overall like stellar review i mean and there was also other prom- problems we addressed but uh i i just felt like you know just cut the 25 minutes and expand i don't know what else you could expand on in like the 45 minutes but you know, I mean, you you have like the greatest minds in DC at work. You could figure out something. But well, I'm uh, gonna say my favorite moment of the movie right now is where uh, the Joker breaks out into song. Yeah, just, the, just the to hear, show. That was yeah, great. just to hear Mark Hamill singing as the Joker yet again. Amazing. 
Mark Hamill needs to release an entire Joker album because like we see we've seen him here, we've heard him here doing a Broadway show too. We he's done that song from Arkham Knight. He's also, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure Joker's done a song in Batman the Animated Series also. I know the the Christmas with the Joker episode. You know, Jingle Bells, Batman smells. I mean, he did that. Mark Hamill singing as the Joker, amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's rate let's rate the Killing Joke. If this was a test, I would get I'll give it like a C or a C minus. Um, I guess for like a our five star system, I don't know, maybe two point five stars, mm. maybe or maybe like two point seven five. Um, again, like I I come to this being a huge fan of the Joker, huge ha- fan of the original Alan Moore, Brian Ballin work, um, an incredible respect for. Everyone on the team, you know, like Conroy and Hamill and John DiMaggio and so on and so forth. Tara Strong as Batgirl. And Tara Strong is, yeah, that's right. I'm a completely forgot. I'm sorry. Tara Strong, uh, she returns. I enjoyed the recreation or like just the transfer of the story from one medium to the other. I just thought there was too many problems that, that just really brought it down between Batmil- Batgirl's treatment, the fridging, and some of the weird animation issues and like just something missing that I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I felt like in the end I was underwhelmed, but I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel that way, but I just do. Cause like uh, technically they did their job. They adapted like the last 45 minutes adapted the story beat by beat. I think this is probably the DC animated movies, black mark in the book. I mean, I've, I was really surprised. Usually the DCAU has done super stellar with their DC animated movie properties. And in terms of straight story adaptations, you know, or for, especially for a Batman tale, like, you have, like, Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, which is also a, just as renowned and iconic a book as Killing Joke. You know, Bat- and, like, that's, I like, Batman v Superman live action movie aside, like, the, those two movies are the most faithful adaptations of the Dark Knight Frank Miller books you could ever hope to have. And then you have Alan Moore's book over here, and it's just there's a lot of holes in it. So, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed parts of it, but there was just too many problems for me to that I, can't, I couldn't ignore. I, I think this totally gets a 2.5 out of 5. Initially, I had watched earlier in the week Under the Red Hood again. While I was watching it, I told my girlfriend, I'm pretty sure that that The Killing Joke will outbeat this for me as my favorite movie. And it did not. I mean, that sucks, you know. I, the Batgirl stuff was present in the original adaption. And so there's kind of, if you're going to if you're gonna do a faithful a- adaptation, there's no way avoiding it. So that being said, I really feel like this movie would have been better had they just did a straight adaptation like that and left it at like 45 minutes, 30 minutes long and just made it as a, as a special rather than a full length animated feature. You know, I think the way they handle the Batgirl character and the way that they brought down Bruce's character also in the same, in the same manner with his 25 minute introduction, just really sours the experience for me and just, 
I liked Hamill's performance. I liked Tara Strong's performance. I liked Conroy's performance. I liked the Joker origin stuff. But that was stuff in the comic book. And I feel like if you want the quintessential Killing Joke story, you just read the book. You know, it's almost not, it's almost more effort to watch this than it is to just read the comic, you know? Because the comic is like a one shot. It's it's a really tight, tightly paced story. And this movie just, the pacing is off. And that's probably why it doesn't feel satisfying for you. Because they threw in all this bullshit that just really fucks with what's supposed to be a very yeah. succinct, together I, I feel piece. like when Alan Moore originally wrote this story, like the book, like you said, it was super tight. It was, it just followed this rhythm almost. Yeah. And it just, it's and it off. kept that pace the entire book. And uh, this movie just kind of throws that shit out the window. Yeah. And in my opinion, I think Alan Moore is a fucking genius writer. He's a really good writer. Um, but so I just, you know, it sucks. And I, I wanted this movie to be great. And the second I saw that clip on the internet of Batgirl and Batman having sex, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. What are you doing? Um, I think if you want to kind of block it out of your mind and pretend that this is Batman Beyond verse version of the killing joke, like this exists in the Batman Beyond universe and it doesn't have any bearing on the actual DCAU uh, movies and stuff, then I think that's fine. If they if they consider it like a Batman Beyond anthology story, <laughs> it's it's fine. If you like, if you really want to see it, just for like Hamill's performance and just the Joker origin stuff, then it, then great. But I I have to agree and I have to say it's like a two point five. Yeah, I just I, I'd say I, proceed I, with caution. Yeah, and maybe just read the book. Yeah, definitely. If you never read the comic, that's where you want the story. I just. I can't, I can't handle what they did to the Batgirl, and I, it just, it just sucks. And in bringing down Batgirl, they also brought down Batman, because I, I know Batman would not dead Batgirl like that, yeah, and just decide to be at the end more. He tries harder with the Joker than he does with Batgirl. He tries to repair his relationship with the Joker harder than he does Batgirl, which just really makes no fucking sense. It's like the end of Arkham City where he carries the joker out of the fucking theater spoilers after the joker <laughs> dies and it's like is this his one true love over here and it's just it's so stupid um i just i wish it was better read the comic book that's my review one of the silver linings if you could find one from this is that mark hamill did do interviews uh or the press circuit before it got premiered and oh he, he did say he did say that the killing joke won't be his last joker appearance or joker role like he's open to do more and you know it's 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 like a running gag like arkham asylum oh i'm never gonna do the joker again oh let's do arkham city oh let's do arkham knight oh let's do killing jokes so. at this point he's just gonna stay the joker i'm 100 percent fine with him being joker and luke skywalker yeah, yeah. it's fine i mean i understand that uh the joker laugh is a strain on his voice but I mean, there's no reason they can't take a Joker laugh clip from some, from Batman the Animated Series or like the hundreds of Joker laughs that he's done over the years, or just, just copy paste that shit in. Be very sparse where you put like put in those laughs like in in very specific, very poignant parts. Yeah, if you're gonna use it. Yeah, Killing Joke. Killing, Killing joke. joke. Oh man. Two point five <laughs> on the oh, on the SMP scale. Not enough laughs. Yeah. 
Well, I want to thank everyone who's joined us tonight in the chats for our two live podcasts uh, this week. A mega shout out to uh, Dace Killer. He's been for, here the entire time. Yeah, thank like, you for sticking. You are the on. true MVP. The show is great, and it was made greater by the people hanging out in the chat. With yep. So, uh, I think this this wraps it up. This was episode seventy five. Uh, again, this is our anniversary episode. This is our first live episode uh, via Discord. Uh, we hope that we can do this more often. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for sticking around with us. Thank you for listening. You can find our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, any any of the big podcast players. You know, you can find us there. Uh, you can also find all of our episodes and blog posts and related content on supernerdpals.com. It's, it's your portal to all of our social media channels as well. So we're on Twitter at SuperNerdPals. Uh, we're also on Facebook. Uh, we have a very, very vibrant, robust community, uh, a Facebook group. Uh, Stan, what is that URL? Facebook.com slash group slash SuperNerdPals. Thank you. And you can find me, uh, Chris, on Twitter at Kyo Ninja for Hire. That's K-Y-O Ninja for Hire. You can find Stan on on Twitter at uh, Stan Doom. And you can find Andy on Twitter at Sweet Justice One. That's O-N-E. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thanks, Thanks guys, guys for, for listening. listening.